Hi, welcome to the Axiom Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Earhart. And today, Joey Brandon, our CEO, will be joining us. Hey, Joey. Hey, how's it going, Cameron? Good. Excited to jump into this one. We're going to be talking about delegating decision-making, how leaders solve problems. So can you kind of lay the framework or the context for what we're going to be talking about today? And then I got some questions. I want to, I want to hear your wisdom. On. All right. So when you hear delegating, the thing that you normally think about with delegation is delegating tasks, yep. right? And, and so we we will often encourage the owners and the leaders we work with to get better at delegating, take more off their plate, leverage other people's time and energy to be able to get more done. But when we talk about decision-making, we we tend to hold on to the decision-making and we're deciding what tasks need to get done and we're handing the tasks off. What we want to talk about today is taking it to the next level. And this is probably going to be I would say it's generally applicable to everybody, but immediately applicable to CEOs who want the people on their leadership team to start taking some of those decisions and not just making better decisions, but making more decisions with confidence that are more consequential and broader in scope, as opposed to little bite-sized decisions that are really just kind of like bigger tasks. Yep. Right? So that's, that's where we're coming from. And, you know, we, we talked about maybe the subtext or the subtitle of it, how leaders solve problems. You know, this is, this is a core leadership skill. Yep. We talk about developing people. One of the things that we need to be do is make people better decision makers. Certainly has to be the case with people on the leadership team. That's good. Okay. So real quick, tell us the difference between delegating and abdicating. Cause I think it's important to understand that before we jump into what yeah, this well, looks like. Tell me if, tell me if you agree on this, but I th we've talked, I think we've talked about this before where delegation means that I'm going to ask you to do something, but built into that request is the expectation that I'm going to check back and make sure that it's been done. Mm -hmm. Whereas abdication means I don't want to see it. I don't <laughs> want to hear about it. I just need you to take care of. And I guess when we talk about delegating in that context, we're talking about delegating the responsibility for something. So I'm kind of temporarily de delegating the responsibility for the task, but overall, it's still my responsibility to make sure that you get it done. Abdication and abdication of responsibility is saying, I can no longer be held responsible for this because mm. I've given that to Cameron and it's his baby and don't come to me anymore, <laughs> right? So, and I appreciate that you asked about the distinction because I don't think it's very well appreciated inside businesses. I think most of what people think they're doing when they delegate is abdicate. Yep. And there's this other extreme where we micromanage, which is kind of like the other end of the spectrum from abdication. So delegation is like this sweet spot in the middle where I give you the task and I trust that you know how to do it. And I just want you to be accountable for completing it. And then there's abdication, which says, I don't, you know, whether you get it done or not, that's your business. And then there's micromanaging, which is, I expect you to get it done, but I want to watch you do it. And I'm even going to correct you along the way. And <laughs> Make tell sure you, you how do it my do. way. Right. So delegation is a great skill set to learn, but it does entail this kind of accountability aspect that requires you to stay involved. Yeah. And that's what it, it sounds like. The accountability piece is key. Like that's really what differentiates you because even micromanagement, that's not accountability. <laughs> no, no, there's really not any account. You just basically, you know, right foot, left foot, you yeah. know, just make sure that you do this, do that. Okay. So tell us about 
you have this idea up here of, of commander's intent. We'll have to remember where we found that. <laughs> <laughs> it may have come out of, we quote extreme ownership so much because it's got a lot of great leadership yeah. stuff in it. Maybe it comes out of that, but the idea behind commander's intent, uh, it's more, it's kind of a military term. And it says, you know, if we're, if we're going to send somebody on a mission, it's important that they know not just what the mission is, but what is my intent behind the mission? Because there may be, you know, things are going to happen on the battlefield or in the theater. And the, the way that I thought the mission or the way I communicated the mission being carried out is no longer feasible. Mm. And there's another way to complete the mission if they know the intent behind it. Is that answering the why? Is that the same thing? Could be very well could be, but it does require that you give a little bit more information than just do this or do that. I'm handing this or this, this or that off to you. I need to explain why, why I think it's important that this get done, what effects we expect it to have downstream, where it fits into the bigger picture, all of that stuff. Okay. That's good. Yeah. And, and even if it's not in the book, everybody needs to read extreme. Ownership. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. It's probably our most quoted book. I've know. started anytime I start with a new team, I just buy it for all the leadership That's team and practice. just say, if you all read this, then it creates a, <laughs> a common language and a kind of a common dictionary where everybody can kind of understand what you're, you're saying. It's a good book. It is full of war stories. So typically the guys get more excited about it. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we talk about commander's intent, implicit and explicit ideas. So what do you mean by that? Well, so I can explain my intent explicitly. And this could be essentially like, so I want to delegate this decision to you and I, I want to communicate my intent. But, you know, it's so I could say, Cameron, I, I need to, I want you to handle everything around getting us a new software package mm-hmm. for maybe our CRM system. And what I'm really looking for is something that will shift us more into a sales mentality as opposed to just keeping track of names and addresses. And so, you know, it needs to have maybe, I don't know, you're, you're going to have to use your judgment to see whether it's more or less just record keeping or whether it's actually going to be driving us to do more sales activity in the business, yep. right? That's what I'm after. And so, I trust that you knowing what I'm after, you're going to go out there and you're going to make it happen. And then, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to check in on that in terms of the accountability side, you know, I'm going to check in and see how it's going and if you need my help and that kind of thing. But that would be me explicitly saying that. Yep. Implicit is there, there's a role for implicit communication of intent because you know, our values, right? When you're making decisions, you should know our company values and Mm -hmm. what they mean. You know what the vision of our company is. You know where we're all trying to get together. You know what strategies we've narrowed our focus to over the next couple of years. You know the goals that we've set for this year. And you know the priorities that we have or that you personally have over the next 90 days. So I would also expect that the decisions you make are all consistent with those implicit implicitly communicated intentions that yeah. we stay true to, to the, the bigger picture. So I have the same framework for making decisions as you, the CEO. Yeah, very well put. Exactly. If we're both operating from the same framework, we may not make exactly the same decisions, but our decisions are going to be within a range. And they're all of, I would say that if we let those decisions play out, like one decision may be a little bit more different 
between the two of us than the other one. But if we were allowed to make enough decisions, we would eventually get to the same place. Right. Yeah. So, so our, just an example of this, we, we have a value of diligence, diligence. We bring the right amount of work to the task. So if you were to give me a, uh, you wanted me to make the decision of choosing a new CRM. And if I were to just go on and choose the first one that popped up in a Google search, <laughs> that would be terrible diligence. I would not be living by our values. Right. But if I scheduled demos with five of them, did research, <laughs> updated, right. you know, compared the pricing, showed everybody like that's diligence. That's making the decision through the lens of our values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the beauty of that implicit value set. So when I, when I give you explicit intent, right, I'm basically saying, here's a big project and I want to communicate my intent to you, but within your normal day in, day out roles and responsibilities, like I'm not telling you all the big projects that are involved or small projects that are involved in your day in, day out responsibilities, right? So I don't often have an opportunity to, to communicate explicit intent unless I'm giving you something big that's going to require a lot of decision-making authority, but you're always making decisions. You know, people on your team are always making decisions. They're making decisions during their one-to-ones with their team members. They're making decisions as they hire new team members. They're making decisions as they write up, you know, discipline, disciplinary action for team members. They're making decisions when they decide to pull one tool out, you know, one form, one system or process out and replace it with a new one. Mm-hmm. They're making decisions day in, day out. And with those implicit intentions that are communicated in the the grand strategic plan, they should never be in question about, you know, what the, how we should all be doing this consistently. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So I like that we can set the framework for how to make decisions and that's going to be universal. So everybody in the company is going to make decisions through the same framework, but let's talk about it's a skill at the end of the day. Like it takes some skill to learn how to make certain decisions in certain situations. So how do we teach that skill? How do we go about that? What are the steps to making sure that we're delegating decision-making in a way that we're setting them up for success? Yeah, it's, it is not, it's not easy. I mean, it's easy to, it's much easier to say, how do I teach somebody to do this thing? But where does decision-making happen? It happens in our head, right? I can teach somebody how to do something with their hands or how to do something with a piece of software or, or how to do something out in the field, but how can I teach them how to do something in their head? And so I, I don't want to come across in this podcast as saying, oh, just do X, Y, and Z. There's probably a hundred different paths to helping people make better decisions. There's a few that we can talk about that, that I do think work. But I think they also require you to maybe approach it a little bit differently than you would checking something off on your training program for for an employee. Mm-hmm. So th- the first one is this idea of shadowing. You know, let them in on your decision making process. The problem with this is that oftentimes you take for granted the decisions that you make quite easily, or the way in which you come come around to a decision. What's happening in what's your happening head? In your head <laughs> where the person that you would like to teach this to would be fascinated to know what's going on in your head. So I think the key there in shadowing and providing opportunities for people to see you do what you do, they've got to be able to ask you the questions that are going to prompt you to stop and roll back the tape, so to speak, in your brain and say, how did you arrive at that decision? Mm. It's What's interesting is that same process 
you know, when I think about my business coach, Doug Pohl, who's my C12 chair. He's, he's also my business coach. And it's funny because the same kinds of things that I could envision, say you asking me about a decision-making process I've gone through are the things that Doug asks me before I'm going to make the decision. Yep. Right. So I, I see a huge benefit here for business owners and, and leaders who are willing to, you know, pick somebody. And I think you have to be intentional about it. You know, as you say, I really want Cameron to have some insight into how I make decisions. So I'm going to schedule regular time to sit down with Cameron and I need his, his, his instructions are to look at the things that I've been doing and ask me, how did you decide to do this or that? Or look at the big moves that have happened in the company and say, how did you decide this, that, or the other? Yeah. And the reason I say I see huge benefit because that business owner is going to learn a lot just by rewinding the tape and watching their own game film, so to speak, mm -hmm. of how they, how they are biased to, to take one course of action over another or how they came to a conclusion to, to do one thing or another. And it is just, you know, kind of conversational through actual situations that have happened. I think you can also do it, you know, in, in our team meetings on Monday morning a lot of times one of the things that I'm trying to do is ask you guys the questions that before I ask them and answer them myself, right? So I'm like, I need to figure this. Let me ask them that question. I need to figure this. Let me ask them that question and just see where it goes, hearing what you guys think. And hopefully some of that's rubbing off and, and you're saying, oh, those are the kind of questions I should be asking. You know, it's surprisingly a lot of times, and this is even the case with Doug in the conversations that we have, what is Doug doing when he's asking me those questions? A lot of times what he's doing is he's pointing me back to that implicit yeah. intent behind the explicit roadmap. Like here's your strategic plan. Is that how, how should you make this decision with respect to your biggest priority these 90 days? How should you make this decision to put yourself in a good position going into next year to have some momentum? How should you make this decision if the most important strategic direction you have right now is X, Y, or Z? Yeah, that's good. And I, I just, I think back to starting here at Axiom. I mean, this is exactly how I learned. So the first 90 days was shadowing you and Devin and going to meetings with you guys and just listening and just taking notes and, and just trying to soak in and learn as much as I could. And then once I brought on my first client, Briar Greaves, which was about two months after I started, then it was doing meetings with you alongside you and figuring it out together and asking, you know, certain questions and then looking at you and seeing if you approved or not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And then now at this point, it's, I'm off and running on my own. And you're still there along the way to help me. We still have one-on-ones every month. And the majority, the, the bulk of our time during one-on-ones is me coming to you with, these are decisions that we have to make in our companies. And this is how I'm looking at it. How would you look at it? And so this is the exact framework that we followed. Yeah, I think that it makes a lot of sense. And I do think a lot of people kind of do it intuitively. What I would ask them to do is, I, I can't... I can't emphasize enough how much the rhythm matters. So you, it's one thing to say, well, they've got access to ask me questions anytime they want to. I've got an open door. It's another thing for them to know that on this set day, every month, the agenda's theirs and they need to come with good questions. Yeah. And I need to be prepared to answer those questions. Meaning I've kind of cleared the decks. 
I know there's going to be a lot of stuff coming at me. You know, great questions. I'm not anticipating the direction. I know one can come from right field. One could come from left field. My role is just to sit there and answer those questions. And to do that, I kind of have to prepare myself and put myself in a headspace where I'm willing to do that, as opposed to trying to squeeze it between two client appointments, mm-hmm. right? Where my head's not going to be there or trying to piggyback that one, one-to-one meeting on like a project meeting that we're having right? Where really my head is still in trying to make sure that we make as much progress on this project as I want us to make, rather than be available for you to pepper me with questions about, should I do this? Should I do that? How would you arrive at this? There's another thing that I think you can do that's kind of in this area of shadowing, which is case studies. And I've learned from mentors this way. I've learned from, from, men and women who are older and and wiser than I am by going through case studies, mostly in C12, where we'll kind of read these business cases and there are break points. And it says, you know, what, what do you think this person should do? You know, usually the person in charge, you know, what course of action do you think they should take? And it's, it's not like a pick your own adventure, but everybody kind of says or weighs in, well, I think this, I think that. And I have heard people come out of you know, come to those situations and ask questions that I would have never thought out. And Mm. it's usually because they are, they're kind of going back to base principles, you know, well, you know, in the first paragraph of the case study, it said that he started the company because of this, Mm. this was his motivation for starting the company. And so 10 years later, much more financially successful, he can't just turn a blind eye to the situation because it violates the reason he started the company in the beginning. And I've learned a lot about making tough decisions. And then you progress through the case, you know, and usually you find out that the protagonist in the case didn't do <laughs> what, what the really smart people in right. the room, or it wouldn't have been a case study, right? Yep. So I think case studies, if you can get in the routine or occasionally go through those with with people that, and I, and I also think case studies maybe are better suited to a group discussion, like a group leadership context. If you're trying to do some leadership development with your team and focus on decision making, case studies are a great way to crawl inside their head and challenge the decision they were about to make in a hypothetical situation. Yeah, that's good. And, and as we talk about all this, there there's this underlying idea that in order to delegate decision-making, you have to trust the person. You have to, you have to trust them that they're going to bring the right amount of diligence in that decision-making process. And that even if they make a decision that is different from yours, that either it still might turn out to be okay, or they're going to take the necessary steps to correct it. And so I think that trust is so important. When I think about the CEOs that I interact with and I look at from this standpoint, and I think about that scale of abdication, delegation to micromanagement, I don't really see much abdication going on. I see more of the micromanagement, but not in the form of, let me stand over your shoulder, more in the form of, I want to make sure it gets done right. I've been doing this long as I want to make sure it gets done my way. Mm -hmm. And so it's this, uh, it's this idea of, I don't trust anyone the way I trust myself. And so was that a hurdle for you to get over of, of trusting me and Devin and Carrie and Steve, trusting your team, knowing that we might make decisions a little differently mm-hmm. than you, and it might not be your exact way. Yeah. I think one of the things that you realize is that a lot of business owners, I'm sure you see this with your clients, 
they can make decisions and they're huge pivots. You know, like we can be going south and, you know, all of a sudden they make a decision to go east, right? <laughs> it's a pretty big change. And that's just the way that they are. They're, they're visionaries, right? They're more like, well, we should be going east. Whereas the navigator's like, well, there's a friggin' brick wall directly. Maybe we should go, you know, southeast for a little bit until we get around the wall. Then we can go directly east. And I think that when you're, as a business owner, when you're trying to get comfortable with people making the decisions, you should be comforted by the fact, and I think it is a fact, that in general, the people who are on your team are going to be less willing to make those huge course corrections and decision-making. More often, they're making kind of incremental directional changes in their decision-making. And that's where I would encourage business owners to let them do it. Right. So like you said, and we were talking about earlier, if you make those small course corrections and then you realize that "Ah, that's not going the direction, you're going to make some more decisions to bring yourself back into line. Rarely is somebody on your team, if you're a business owner, rarely somebody on your team going to intentionally make a decision that's going to result in a big account leaving. Now they may unintentionally make a decision. Like they may, may have a, a lapse in judgment or lose their temper or do something foolish or, you know, just not handle a situation correctly. But in, in terms of what we're talking about today, where they're sitting down to analyze a situation, come up with a course of action and make a decision to make that happen. I don't think that you can expect that they're going to be drastically changing the direction of your business, which should also give you some confidence and some comfort in not having to micromanage because, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. They're not going to change everything in a day. And in general, I, I think that we should, this is easy to say, hard to do. In general, we should be more willing to let people make decisions and not know where the outcome is going to And I say that for Mm. me personally, I can, in our Monday team meetings, oftentimes I will grab the steering wheel, say, well, I I think we should do that. You know, we've listened to what everybody said, and I think this is the best course of action. You guys are like, yeah, I think, you know, that sounds good to me, right? Where if I really want you guys to develop a decision-making capacity greater than the one you have now, I should, I should be willing to, to let those decisions go forward on the basis of what you guys think should happen. And acknowledge that if it's a little bit deviant from the course that I would have taken, so be it. You know, the thing that I think the humility pill that I think a lot of business owners, including myself, need to take is that we don't know, we don't have a crystal ball. We we have no idea how things are going to turn out. And yet we grab the steering wheel thinking that we do know, we can predict, well, this is the better decision because of X, Y, and Z. And if you've put people on your team, and the reason they're on their team is because they do certain parts of their job way better than you ever could. I think you need to trust their decision-making capability too. It might be better than yours in some situations. That's good. I like it. All right. Well, anything else you want to add before I get, there's one more thing I have, but anything else you want to say? Uh, I, I think that's it. What else you okay. got? Okay. So I'm going to start a new segment. <laughs> Joey's completely unaware of this. This is not in the outline. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be on episodes where I host and you're my guest. So about this might one. be the last one of those. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the segment is called, what is Joey reading right now? We need one of those oh. cool like voiceovers, like what is Joey reading? <laughs> so tell us what you're reading right now and what value you're finding in it. Oh, it's a good question. So if you ask me, ask me this question at any other time, you probably wouldn't get this answer. And it's because 
Josie and I went on an anniversary trip a few weeks ago and I was looking for a way to completely unplug. So I left all of my, I left all but one of my business books at home Hmm. and I didn't even open the one that I took and I downloaded on my Kindle, the Lord of the Rings series. Oh, nice. So I'm reading um, and I've read the first book uh, once before, but I just finished the first book and I'm into the second book. And what am I, what am I taking away from it? Um, you know, it's interesting but since, since I first read J.R.R. Tolkien, I've read a lot more C.S. Lewis yeah. and read a lot more about the, the very intimate relationship these two close friends had, you know, they're basically best of friends. And it's just interesting reading it a second time through and I find myself wondering, you know, were there discussions, you know, about what Frodo, you know, the, this character element or that character element should have had. And I, and you, you begin to see a lot more of the good and evil and the more metaphysical argument that's going on around good and evil. So it's just, if for me, it's a change of pace. Uh, I don't read as much fiction as I do nonfiction. It's probably like 10 to one margin. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Imagine having a cigar with, with Tolkien. <laughs> And C.S. Lewis. I might have a cigar with the book tonight. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week.